0: welcome to the Let's Play Music podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Solberg, creator and founder of the Let's Play Music curriculum. We're glad you're tuning in. Today, I am in the studio with Jenny Smith. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here. <laughs> and Jenny is um, has been a Let's Play Music teacher for a Almost 20 years for 17 years oh, and it's 18. now. Eight, I'm oh, just starting 18, my 18th year. Oh, 18 years teaching, and she's been a trainer for 13 of those years. So, um, Jenny's been around a long time, she's taught a lot of piano students, and she's taught a lot of parents how to practice at home. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We want to give you the ABC of how to make piano practice fun and enjoyable and hence avoid the fight of your piano practice. So that is our goal today. Um, and one other thing I want to say about Jenny, in our office and in, in our training teams, we call her Jenna Fun. So, so we know that she is really good at making piano practice fun, and that's what we want to talk about today.
1: That's it's going to be fun, because if it's not fun, I typically don't want to do it. And so everything I do, I try to put a little bit of fun into it. So there you go.
0: That's right. And that's how our kids are, too. They definitely want to have things be fun.
1: Maybe that's why, because I'm seriously a kid at heart. Right,
0: right. It really does help. So um, what we want to do is we want to literally give you the ABC of how to make practice fun. And first of all, I want to say um, I've given you our teaching experience, but I also want to give you our um, parenting, our combined parenting experience. So Jenny has three children. That all took piano lessons, guitar lessons. What other lessons have they done?
1: They've done cello, violin, trumpet, trombone, and just picked up various instruments, guitar, ukulele, banjo. They've just picked up other instruments along the way because of the foundation they've had. But um, so... We've got a lot of music going on at our house,
0: and a lot of lessons, and a, a lot, lot of practice of logs, and a lot of <laughs> it's time to practice. Um, I have my own five children that all took piano at least until their eighth grade year. Most of them took piano all the way through their senior year, so we, I had a lot of days where I said time to practice, and um, we have a lot of experience in this. So, let's get to the A, B, C of making piano practice fun at home. The first thing, the letter A, and Jenny and I have talked about this, we think is the most important thing about keeping piano practice fun is, A is for?
1: Attitude. If the parents don't have a good attitude, when you're asking your child to sit down and practice, like number one, that's going to be a really, it's going to halt. Right. So what does that look like? What does the
0: parent attitude need to look like?
1: First of all, if you're if you're approaching practice in an attitude of, hey, we gotta get this done. It's kind of that that bossy mom we all kinda get uh, right. when you we gotta get it done. We have ten minutes, you gotta get it done right now. Like that's going to halt their attitude in wanting to practice. So A lot of times you just need to remind yourself to be excited, encouraging and positive and and even just inviting them over like, hey, I want to hear how this song sounds. Right. And let's just learn these two measures right here or just giving them a lot of encouragement gets them um, excited about practicing.
0: So the attitude really can squelch the fun right from the beginning, right? I like yes. how you said an invitation. It needs to be needs to feel more like an invitation. Hey, let's go practice this. Or hey, I want to hear that song. Or didn't you get a new song today? Yes. That is a much better attitude. Um, and it comes across in the way the parent invites the child to start their piano practice yes i love that
1: yeah okay and especially during practice um and you're not saying oh you didn't play that right uh and you're saying oh my gosh you got all this right look at this measure right here yeah so um will you demonstrate to us another bad
0: attitude that a parent can display
1: okay so on some of my bad days of getting my children to practice like if you're just over criticizing them a lot of times uh, especially when they're in the lessons, they may actually know better than the parent how things True. should go. Right. But um, I think just being critical um, and and trying to be overbearing yes. in their practicing right can be another another um, squelching. I don't know what Squelching the fun, right? Yeah. When
0: We're, we're trying yes. to make this
1: fun. And
0: if it's an invitation to, hey, let me hear your song. Hey, do you want to get this song learned really well before dad gets home? Or, hey, do you want to try this? It's such a different thing. Of Time to practice. So yeah. a lot in your tone, a lot in your words. And that attitude makes a huge difference. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's move on to the B. So our B of our ABC formula is... Be brief.
1: We Uh, don't have to have a long piano practice or whatever you're practicing. Um, It doesn't have to be long and it doesn't have to be hard. So take a little bit every day. But if they can get a really short practice in, like five minutes is better than 20 minutes in one day. Right. And then you can celebrate their accomplishments. Like, look how much you just got done. You just played through that whole song. That was so amazing. And we're done. Mm -hmm. And how much more willing are they to come back to the piano the next day?
0: Exactly. Right. That brevity of your practice session is super important. Um, And, you know, we talk about the beginning level of pianists. In Let's Play Music specifically, the very beginners are only six years old. Some of them are even five. So that's earlier than most piano programs. But still, a beginning pianist really should only be spending 5 to 10 minutes on the bench at the beginning. And and really, any time you start something
1: new, it needs to be little bites. Right. When you go into a weight loss program or a fitness um, program um, or you're just trying to eat healthy, like you never start with this huge thing the first week. <laughs> right. You start little by little and you add on to that and add on to that. So it's just like in music lessons. It's the same thing. You start small and you build onto to it little by little, and then it's, it's way more rewarding that way. Right, so really a practice session
0: that is brief um, should look like, first of all, the parent with a good attitude inviting the child over. Hey, show me that new song. And that right there, you're being brief, you're having a good attitude, and you're only telling the
1: child a new song. You're not saying, you know, we have to practice all of the songs that you got. <laughs> right. You're Yeah, and you don't set a timer. Like a lot of music lessons, I think when we were growing up, it was like, I remember my mom like setting a timer uh-huh. for us and we got 30 minutes. And maybe that was because there were six of us taking, so we only had a lot of time. Well, and maybe when but- you're
0: 14, that's fine. Right. Right. But yeah. like a seven-year-old. But a beginner,
1: no. Mm-hmm. This is just all about fun. And really the... The whole idea behind music lessons and getting it consistent is to get the habit. Right. So even just doing a little bit every day, it's just getting them in the habit of sitting on the bench.
0: Right. That brief session is really, really effective. Um, and and really that it needs to, when you invite the child over and say, hey, let's do this new song. That is a real key to making an effective piano practice session that's fun. Because if you start with the newest, hardest thing first, and then it feels like an, an accomplishment when they can play that newest, hardest song, um, and really that can happen in only about three to four minutes. They can play that those three measures that are really hard, play those three to five times in a row, and that only takes one minute, and then you can celebrate that, right? You can say, oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, you were so fast. That was so hard. That was your brand new song. This is amazing. And um, it was short. It was quick. It was effective because you did the hardest thing first. And then you can sort of... um, trick them into maybe wanting to stay a little bit longer and saying what about the piece you learned last week or what about the easy one now you can just play the one you learned last week that was so funny I bet you can do that by yourself I'll just leave you here and let
1: you go ahead and keep playing (laughs) that reminds me a lot of times if I could just get my kids to sit down and play that hardest thing they wanted to stay Right. And then play all the easy stuff.
0: Right. And they want to stay because they felt a sense of accomplishment. Right. Right. They In that little brief moment, they were like, I did it. Hey, that that wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. And I loved what you said earlier about um, once you have established that your piano sessions are brief and fun, they're not going to fight you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, mom, mom doesn't make me stay here very long. And it's fun. And I like how I feel when I'm here. So this isn't so hard. This isn't so bad. I actually like the way that I feel when I'm sitting here at the bench. And um, I think that's an important thing to bring up, that your child will feel about practice the way they felt during practice. So exactly. if while they're sitting on the bench, they felt criticized or they felt corrected or they felt like it was too hard, they're going to get off the bench and say, that was horrible. I'm never going back. And getting them back is going to mm-hmm. be tricky. Yes,
1: You know, you also have, that reminded me of of other students that I've had before. Sometimes you'll get the perfectionist student. Oh, for sure. I had two of those. Yes, if if they don't play it right (laughs) the first time. Mm -hmm. And those need a little bit more TLC. Mm -hmm. And it's good for them to learn that not everything in life you get right the first time. True. And so this True. is a great opportunity. There's that's what I love about piano or music lessons is that the other lessons, the other life lessons that they get to learn about learning a new skill, consistency, self-control. Like there's so many things that they learn from music that helps them in their life, but but especially with those little the perfectionists that they're always like having to start over at the beginning of the song when um they mess up and you have to you know just pick up where you left off it's like climbing a mountain and i always tell this to my students mm-hmm. um if they if i find one in my class that's like that I'm like you wouldn't if you were hiking a mountain and you tripped halfway up, you wouldn't say, "Oh, now I have to start the whole mountain over again and start <laughs> out at the bottom." Just you'd just stand up right where you are and keep going. And so my my students always go, "Oh, yeah, good point. Let's keep going."
0: And this is the perfect segue into our letter C of ABCs, which is conversation, because the conversation that you have. As your child is practicing, the things that you say to them, the things that you motivate them with, and the way that you reply to what they say to you can make your practice sessions so much more fun. So, yeah, when your child says or your student says, "Um, I can't, what do we want to
1: say as adults? Yes, you can. I know. We, As an adult, we kind of just want to yeah. be, yes, you can. Just try again. And and yeah. you kind of get this adultish bossiness back. And, Isn't it crazy?
0: So, yeah. We want to reply to them, oh, yes, you can. I can't. It's too <laughs> hard. No, it's not. That's how we <laughs> want to reply for some reason. It's true. But it's so much better. You know, if your child says to you, it's too hard. I can't. The better thing to say is,
1: Lead with empathy, and that's how I always try to do that with my students, too, because I'll get it with my students, but with my children, it's like, oh, I know. I cannot believe you're at this level right now. Right. And look at how far you've come. So I, I sometimes will look back. Let's look back at this song, because I remember when you said the same thing about this song, and now yes. it's easy for you.
0: That conversation is so powerful. Yeah. It's a really powerful so conversation.
1: Empathy is first. Like, agree with them. Yeah. Yeah. This is super hard. Let's just do one hand. Let's just do two measures. Let's see if we can just do that. That's one thing is just leading with that. Like, yeah, it is hard. It's another language they're learning.
0: True. They really are. There is so much processing that's going into learning how to play the piano that when they express to you that it's hard, let's listen. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about why it feels hard. If they say this is too hard, we can say, What feels hard about it to you? Are the fingerings hard? Is it hard for you to look at the note and know which note to play? Let's have a conversation. Let's lead with empathy. Let's allow the child to work through their frustrations and and again, Jenny, I like what you said about use this as a teaching time for other life lessons. Mm-hmm. When we you've done hard things in the past, look what you did before. I bet you could do this one too. It is such a great time to learn um, the learning style of your child, to learn how your child deals with frustration, to learn how your child works with perfectionism tendencies, uh, to learn how your child works with defeat or mistakes, that conversation is so amazing, um, and it's so powerful. It really can make your piano practice
1: session fun. Right. Yeah. There was uh, some other thoughts that I had, too, is when they say, it's too hard, and you could say, like, would you like to be able to play it? Right. How can you get better at it? Like put it back on them too. Or let's slow it down. Just play half of this measure. Uh Or you know, soon this is going to be so easy for you. We'll just keep doing it every day. And if you just take a song down in pieces and then just do a little piece every day, by the end of the week, they will be amazed at looking back and seeing, oh, remember when this was so hard you didn't even want to try it? And now look where you are. Right. And there's the
0: power, right? There's the powerful conversation when the child realizes what has happened. It's so amazing, and that's why piano is worth it to so many. It's, it's, um, you know, it it can be a struggle, obviously, because we're teaching life skills. Um, but that's why it's so worth it. There is accomplishment, and there is a sense of self-esteem, and there's a sense of pride in what you can accomplish when you work hard at something. So that was our quick A B C approach the attitude, mainly in the invitation, and then be brief, mainly in um, doing the newest, hardest thing first, and pointing out how quick it was, and then the conversation, mainly in talking through and being empathetic, and using that conversation to really parent your child in that moment. So, We hope you liked those top ABC tips, but we are going to go into some other tricks that we have both used and that we've encouraged other parents to use. So we want to talk about some bonus tricks. We're going to give you some literally tricks. These are things that you can do to um, trick your child into good behavior, because why not, right? These are some of the time-tested best ones we've used. So... If your child just doesn't want to play and is resisting and and your best attitude invitation just didn't work, something that I would do, and it almost always worked, is I would say, Well, I I really like that song. I'm going to go in and try. And then I would go in and sit at the bench and I would play it intentionally wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you don't play piano yourself, that might be very easy for you to do. (laughs) But they love it. They think it's hilarious. You can even make a dramatic... um, exhibition about it and start to cry and say, I just can't do it. This is so hard. Play it wrong over and over and then say, will you come help me? It worked like a charm for my kids. They loved it. That six, seven, eight-year-old group just thinks it's hilarious (laughs) when mom is having a hard time with something. So if you go in and play it wrong and then you know make it dramatic or funny or whatever and ask for them to come in and help, chances are they're going to want to come in and show you. And of course, play something Um, wrong that you know they can actually do it right. You know they know how to do that. You're not going to play the newest, hardest song wrong. You're going to play something you know they know well, just to get them in there, just to make the invitation a little more
1: enticing and a little more fun. That's right. And one of the next things that I found really helpful, with this age, they need extrinsic rewards, and they don't have to be big. Yeah, They can be a Skittle (laughs) for every measure or Mm -hmm. a Skittle for every line. It doesn't have to be big. So decide maybe between the two of you, that what kind of treat they will get. And and there's a lot of ideas on on little um, treats you can give them, but it doesn't have to be food. It can be something else. It can be, um, for older children, it can be time with mom or time with dad. Right. And I know that some of our older students, they have an envelope where the two mm-hmm. of them decide on special prizes that they get. And it's some of it is... We get a date with dad at the end of the week or a date right. with mom. Um, what are some of the other ideas? We've had that some great parent, parent ideas
0: that they come up
1: with for rewards
0: for practicing. I think one of the other ones I've heard is, um, you know, they get to stay up a half an hour later or they get to watch one show after the other kids have gone to, gone to sleep or um, they get a new pillow for their bed or they get... A new pair of socks. I mean, I've seen a lot Mm -hmm. of great parent-child discussions where they decide on their rewards for practicing. Right, right,
1: and and again, it doesn't have to be big. So for the small, uh, for the younger child, this I find that these are so fun to get. Like I've heard of um, getting a jar of treats and decide, you know, if it's per song or if it's per practice. Mm -hmm. And that's their special jar that maybe they choose what's going to be in in it.
0: One thing that I love is um, when you have to do some repetition of a certain drill. Like if there are, again, two or three measures that are extra hard, the hardest measures of the song. um, And you really do have to just drill and repeat them and say, it takes five seconds to play those three measures. You can put a line of, say, ten Skittles up on the piano and every time they play those three measures, they eat one. So after two minutes they've eaten ten Skittles and they've played it ten times. And after playing something ten times, it's mastered. So you know, you've used ten Skittles for mastery and it took literally one, maybe two minutes. Again, it's brief, it is rewarding. And you've made it fun.
1: Yep. The other thing we we really like to do is have it be a more musical experience. So in that, if somebody else in the house plays an instrument, like a guitar or a ukulele or drums, or even you could play on the piano, um, like whatever they're playing, an octave higher or lower, and playing with them, but making it more of a musical enjoyment just experience. So if there's a melody that you can play the guitar to and you can play chords to it it just like they're in a band right and I know sometimes my kids love jamming now like Mm -hmm. somebody will be on the piano somebody will be on the guitar somebody will be on the drums and just making it a more just beautiful musical experience for them and it becomes more rewarding right
0: and another thing that could make it more rewarding for them is um and these are sort of more intrinsic rewards, right, when the extrinsic would be the treats and the, the um, extra time with mom or dad. But the intrinsic rewards would be having it feel musical, having an actual musical experience. And that's an amazing motivator. So I love the idea of having other family members join with their musical instruments. Another way to do that if you don't have that musical talent in your family is simply for you as the parent to sit there and play the other hand that goes along with it because they may not be capable of playing hands together at that point. And hearing the melodies and harmonies work together and you playing the other hand can be far more musically motivating than just their one hand that they're working on. Um, Also singing the melody while they play the chords or the left hand, if you can make it a more musical experience for them, it is far more musically rewarding. And then, again, it's it's more fun. When it feels musical, it is more fun. And they are more inclined to want to come back to the bench the next
1: day. The next thing is to make a special challenge. Yes. Because kids at this age, 6, 7, but I think all kids, once they get something learned, to challenge them to play it with their eyes closed. Yeah. They or, love those
0: tricky challenges. Yes. What are some <laughs> other tricks that you've used? I, I love saying, play this while you hold your breath. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it gets them to just, it just gets them to do another challenge, something that's tricky. Also, can you play this standing up? Or do you think you can play this if you look up to the ceiling?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's so fun to okay. get them to just, can you do this?
1: I just thought about this when my son was a little bit older, but he would try playing it upside down. Right. Like Mozart did, yeah, and he would try. You'd have to backwards like backwards and cross arms, yeah. <laughs> so when they get when they want an extra challenge, that that was always fun to do. Lay down on the bench backwards, <laughs> looking up at the ceiling,
0: hands crossed. Yes, that is such a challenge, and it's so fun for those little bit older players. Mm-hmm. So we love those tricks, just those little tricks that that get them on the bench and that makes them. Okay, I'm here. I'm there. Um, another just quick trick, and we've we've implied this a couple times, but a lot of times, just getting them to sit there, you can trick them into staying longer. So if you say, "Hey, all I want you to do is play one major scale," just come over and play one major scale. I've put a Jolly Rancher on the piano for you, and if you'll come play a major scale with both hands, you can have the Jolly Rancher. A lot of times, my kids would come over. Play the major scale, put the jolly wrencher in, and they would keep playing because they were there. They once they're there, they realize, okay, this is fun, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and I like this. So, that's another trick: give them a motivation to just get their bum on the bench, and they just may stay a little longer. So, we hope you've liked those tricks (laughs) that we (laughs) shared with you. Um, Now we want to share with you just some other basic considerations because there are some factors that go into effective piano practicing that you know you may be overlooking or you may not know some of these uh, tactics to use so one of them is consistency
1: yes if they if this will lessen the whining but if the whining works once they will know that it will work again (laughs) so if you can get a consistent time of the day, that's best. But at least if it's once a day, and they know that, oh, it's a new day, I've got to practice by the end of the day, then it just becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And so consistency is huge.
0: Yeah. And once they know that you are cheerfully going to, again, that attitude, once they know you're going to cheerfully insist, and there's no budging on it, then the whining just goes away. But like Jenny said, if the whining works once, They know it's going to work again. So Mm -hmm. with my kids, if they even gave me the, I don't want to, I would just say, yeah, but we're going to, so let's just hop up and do it, and then we'll be done. That's right. That positive attitude and that positive, hey, we're just going to do it. It'll be great. This is going to be fun. I love hearing you practice. I love when you play and just think how you're going to feel when you're done. Um, We just don't let the whining work. We just know that it's consistent. It's every day. Um, And and when you do establish that it's brief, that you have a good attitude, and that you're willing to converse with them, um, they they just really start to trust you and the whining goes away. So the consistency is super, super important.
1: I was thinking also, just through all this, of if you think about... um the bonding that happens, if this is a positive experience with your child. Right. Big if, right? There if you is, make it positive. Yeah. There's so much um, positivity and bonding that goes on mm-hmm. and building of a relationship, especially if you don't budge. Like Shelly was saying, um, when they're like, ah, I don't want to do it. This is stupid. I've heard I've heard it all from my Why kids. do I have to do this? Yeah. And and it was just like, well, we go to school and we do music lessons. It's mm-hmm. like it was just part of our family culture. And, you know, a lot of times they would, I remember even, did you have any boys, maybe even girls, (laughs) that lay down on the bench Mm -hmm. like, oh, and it's like, I know, Mm -hmm. hun. But with your attitude, keeping it positive, like, yep, we're going to get it done and you can play right after we're done. And it was always that, hey, you can go play as soon as we're done, as soon as we're done. And it was just, I had to keep on bringing it back to that. So just being consistent is that that um, the success of music lessons, but it's a success on, it's a success for anything you're going to do. Life skills that are tough to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: totally. And, and I do like the, one of the best life lessons I think is to get started and then keep going. (laughs) And I feel like getting started is half the battle with anything, Mm -hmm. get started and then keep going. And that's what we're alluding to when we say, just get them on the bench, just get started. Um, Because another consideration we wanna talk about is a lot of times the problem with starting piano practice is they're into something, they're doing something they like maybe they just picked up a video game maybe they just picked up a book that they really are enjoying reading maybe they just started a lego project Um, or maybe a friend just came over we might be interrupting something they really like so it's important to not do that so that they know there is a set piano practice time and that's when we do it and it is fun it is brief it does end But um, eliminating those distractions, like making sure the TV is off when they get home from school or uh, making sure that friends know they don't come over right after school. Whenever your set piano practice time is, um, that those distractions are eliminated and that you talk through, if it's an interruption, you can say, you can go right back to your Legos as soon as we're done. Remember yesterday, we were only at the piano for 10 minutes. You can go right back to making your Legos in 10 minutes. Um, And I, I think that that's a really important thing to again show empathy if you're interrupting something because nobody likes to be interrupted with something fun that you love to do so be empathetic and and careful as far as interrupting what they're doing for me our tactic when my kids were young we did our piano practice in the morning It just was so much easier for me as a mom. I felt like I had way more control over the morning hours than I did over the afternoon hours. There were just a lot more distractions, a lot more things contending with their time and their energy. And I couldn't ever really get afternoon practices to work or evening practices. But if I could do it in the morning, which that was our that was our schedule, that was our consistent schedule. And, again, it was usually only 10, 15 minutes. Even when they got in to be 8, and 9, and 10 years old, I only required 15 to 20 minutes of practice time because if they did it focused, that's all they needed. Mm-hmm. And then after school, I would give them bonus treats or rewards or prizes if they went in on their own and did more practice after school they could earn another reward but like we required the 15 to 20 minutes in the morning where they did their scales or their newest hardest songs Um, I just I'm a real proponent for morning practice. Mm -hmm. And we did have a piano in one room and then a keyboard in another room. So I could have two going on at a time. I was just going to
1: say, when you have sleeping babies in the morning, Mm -hmm. because we went through that stage, too. And I was so grateful we had a digital piano. Mm -hmm. And they're not very expensive. um, But if you can have a digital piano right. where they have headphones yeah. or you can turn it down, mm-hmm. that was so helpful when yeah. I had sleeping babies because right. a lot of times you have those distractions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, doing your best. Right. So we hope that you consider the you know eliminating those distractions. Um, another thing we want to talk about is how you specifically as a parent can be of the most help while you're sitting there with your child. Now, you won't always be sitting there with them, but when you are... The best place to sit is on your child's left. The reason you need to be on your child's left is because most of your help is going to be guiding their eyes to the notes that they need to be playing. And if you're pointing on the right, you're covering up where they're reading. They need to read left to right and they need to learn to look ahead. So you need to be pointing behind the notes that they're following. So always sit to the left and point to the left of the notes that they're playing. We also like to use what we call a V finger pointing, and this is just when the children are learning how to play um, a bass and a treble clef at the same time. When they're reading two staves at the same time, um, if you'll make your left hand a sign language V, or a two, and then you follow the bass and treble with your um, middle and index finger, you're pointing to both lines at the same time, and you're really helping your child to track two lines of music at the same time as you use two fingers to move from left to right. It's a real help for kids who are learning how to read two uh, lines of music at the same time. Um, The other thing you can do, and we mentioned this previously, is you can play the other hand. If they're only learning one hand of music, you can play either the left or the right while they play the other. You can sing the melody, or you can write in note names or finger numbers in pencil Um, just because they are processing a lot. They're having to look at a note, translate it to a letter, translate it to a key shape, tell Mm -hmm. them which finger to play. That's a lot of translation. So if you can assist in that translation process by writing in a finger number or a note name in pencil, so you can erase it later, Mm -hmm. then um, it really is a helpful thing for you to be able to do. So um, those are some of the things that if you're sitting there with your child, we would encourage you. Those are the best ways you can help. That's right. So I feel like one of the best practice strategies that parents don't really know about is um, chunking. Because I feel like as adults, we, you know, maybe we get caught in that mountain climbing syndrome that you were talking about a minute ago. That's right. We they they play from measures one through nine and then they mess up on measure 10. And we say, go back to the beginning. So <laughs> so tell us what chunking
1: is. That's right. So in chunking, you're just taking a measure or you're taking a group of measures. But take the hardest measures first. And so the play chunk, those. the hard yeah. chunk. Just like four measures right mm-hmm. here. You're going to mm-hmm. play those five times before you go back and play the whole thing together. Yes. Right. So we we love chunking. It's way more effective because I feel like every song has a hard part. They do, right? And then, <laughs> and then it's like you start playing and then there's always that hard part where everybody messes up. The and then chunk. they're back to playing it. So if they just chunk that part and play it maybe three times as much as they do the other... The other measures, or even
0: ten, with the skittle on the on the keyboard. That's true. Right? Yeah.
1: Whatever. However many. Usually, we'll say five to ten times, mm-hmm. and then you'll have the whole song from the beginning to the end flawless. Eventually, yes. if you use this technique of chunking.
0: Yes. Go for the chunk, and then you play from the beginning to the end, and you go right over that chunk
1: because you just played it 10 times in a row. Yeah. It's such a good tactic. I do remember my piano teacher, like, whenever I would go from one measure to the other, and it was, I'd get stuck, and I'd have to start. If there I, was a pause or something. Yes, if mm-hmm. there's any pauses. Mm-hmm. And I remember my piano teacher, like, just play these right here, just these two measures. E, over, sometimes it's an only, over, like, over maybe
0: even four notes yeah. get from this to this note this to that's the hard one where your mm-hmm. hand has to move a lot mm-hmm. or there's a tricky fingering or a crossover that's it yep mm-hmm. tricky get fingering get that little chunk yes. anytime
1: there's a pause if your child is playing through and there's a tricky part just circle it and then come back to it treat it as treat it as the chunk Mm-hmm. Play it ten times with ten
0: Skittles, and then go back to the beginning. And then it's so rewarding, right? Right. Because they like get from the beginning to the end of the song, and they're like, "I made it over that mm-hmm. that huge hurdle, that chunk. I did it because I practiced it." Yep. It's such a good, uh, such a good technique. Okay. The other thing that parents tend to want to do, Jenny, and I know you've seen this a ton in your studio, is. Um, When the parent knows which key needs to be pressed and they're looking at the music and their child is looking at the music and you like so bad, you're going, just play it. Mm -hmm. And the parents want to do what?
1: They want to touch their fingers and make their fingers touch the keys and press down their fingers into the keys. Right. So the parents
0: are touching the kids' hands and pressing the kids' hands into the keys. So we
1: never, ever want to touch their hands. And why is that? It's because it intercepts the the neurological communication to the brain that tells which finger to press down. So if you touch their finger, it intercepts that message. Yep. And so you never want to touch your, your child's hands when they're playing something. What you can do is touch the key at the top of the board if you want them to feel it, because then right. it's not intercepting something. Right. So but, the
0: key falls under their finger. Yes. But you didn't actually press it down.
1: Yes. Yes. So that's helpful to not have to intercept that. So I'm always telling the parents in my studios, like, don't touch their hands. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard, mm-hmm. but refrain from touching. Right.
0: And just be patient and allow their brain the time to process that neurologically that, oh, that's the finger that I use. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's the other thing is like when when your child is learning music, you never want to give them the answers. Mm -hmm. The best way for a children for children to learn is for them to discover it themselves. As adults, we can get there really fast, but children need that processing time to be able to come out with the answer. And so sometimes when To truly discover their own. To discover it. Yeah. And sometimes when the parents that's that's another way that parents kind of intercept the learning mm-hmm. is they answer it for them. Mm-hmm. And so if you can lead the child to discover it for themselves, that's the best way for them to learn is for them to come up with it. And when you ask them leading questions, mm-hmm. like, oh, you played a B. What is this? Yes, what is this actually? Right. so so guiding them to discover it for themselves is always going to be the best way for them to learn and and to, Um, internalize things a little bit better. Right. Well, and that goes back to the the C of our ABCs, the
0: conversation. When they do make a mistake, it's so much better to say, oh, did that sound right to you? It says B. Did you play a B? Mm -hmm. Like you just said, help them discover what their mistake was Mm -hmm. rather than just correct them. Because if your conversation is just correcting, that conversation is not one that's going to help them stay at the piano. Mm-hmm. It's not one that's going to help them feel good about playing the piano. Right, right. It's not going to be one that, that helps them say, I feel confident and successful when I play the piano. Mm-hmm. They're going to think, I am wrong and bad at the piano. <laughs> <laughs> so that conversation that lifts and, again, like you said, Jenny, guides them to the answer rather than corrects their mistake mm-hmm. is such a better conversation for them to mm-hmm. hear in their head. And, and for them so to
1: much more engaging. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just makes it a little bit more fun. It does make it more fun.
0: Success is fun, Mm -hmm. and failure is not fun. (laughs) Being criticized is not fun, but finding answers is fun. Mm -hmm. So that conversation, again, it just leads us back to that Mm -hmm. that building conversation, empathetic, leading to answers,
1: that is all fun. That made me also think about, like, when you mess up, you know. Yeah. And and children, (laughs) they know. And you don't need somebody to tell you you messed up. Yeah. So, it's always better. I like that. Like it's always better to just be like, "Oh, I heard this. Are you mm-hmm. sure?" and just have look mm-hmm. again. Look again and ne- and try right. to never say, "Nope, that was wrong." Yeah. <laughs> always like, "Look again. Try again. Did mm-hmm. that seem
0: right? Yeah.
1: What do you see on the paper?"
0: Is that the key you played? So much more effective. That conversation is really, really effective and promotes the fun rather than promotes the feeling of, I'm bad at this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love talking with you, Jenny, about how to make piano practice more fun. So, parents, we hope that you got some great usable tips and tricks from this podcast. And remember, next time you're in the thick of it, that you want to remember your ABCs of practicing. Your attitude, keep it positive. Be brief, the newest, hardest stuff first. And your conversation, it needs to be empathetic and helpful. Those are the ABCs to keep piano practice fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. It was really fun to have you. Oh,
1: I loved being here. Thank you.
0: We're glad you were here today. And uh, if you'd like more information about any of our programs, you can go to our website at letsplaymusicsite.com. You can also find us on YouTube. We have our Making Musicians at Home series that shows lots of fun music lessons that you can do right there at home. Thanks for joining us today.